I'm Dan. I'm Elaine. And this is Sublime True Crime. For years now, I've been fascinated by true crime, and seeing as everyone else seems to have a true crime podcast these days, I didn't want to feel left out any longer. I, on the other hand, am just developing an interest in true crime thanks to Dan. Dan has a habit of listening to true crime podcasts at bedtime, which I hate as they scare me to death just before I go to sleep. So why have you agreed to do this podcast with me? Well, because I also didn't want to feel left out, and it's not bedtime yet, so that makes it okay. First case, today's case, is the case of Alan Wood. And something I should point out straight away, I hate unsolved cases, so quite why I've made this one the first one, because it is unsolved. I don't know. My apologies. Lound is a village in Lincolnshire, a county on England's eastern coast. Situated approximately 16 miles north of Peterborough, it can trace its roots back to the Doomsday Book of 1086, and has grown since then when it consisted of just 18 households, a couple of mills and a church. It's also the location where 50-year-old Alan Wood was found dead at home 10 years ago on the 24th of October 2009, having suffered a brutal and sustained attack. An attack where the attacker, or attackers, have never been caught. Alan was the eldest of three children of Jim and Maureen Wood. Born in Gillingham, Alan had grown up in the village of Kirby, along with his sisters Janice and Sylvia. Described as a very gentle, kind man who liked a quiet life, Alan was a keen gardener with a love of motorbikes, especially a black Triumph Speed triple, which he had had for several years. He was also a fan of photography, especially the old-fashioned cameras, rather than the latest digital technology. And it was not uncommon for Alan to take wedding pictures for some of his friends. Have you noticed whenever someone gets murdered, they're always described as nice and gentle and kind? Yes. No one ever turns around and goes, oh, they were a right sod. Though occasionally it does happen. Normally if it's some like drug dealer or something, like a drug baron. So do they? Or oh, they come out and say he, he was a criminal or... Oh, he had a naughty side. <laughs> he was a cheeky chappy. He was a cheeky chappy. <laughs> yes. Alan's social life centred around visiting the Willoughby Arms pub in nearby Little Bytham, where he could often be found sitting at the bar with a pint and a packet of peanuts, reading a newspaper and chatting to his friends. Perfect. Sounds perfect to me. Perfect, but also sounds a bit old manish. He was 50. That's not old. It's not a spring chicken either. No, that's fair. And it, to be fair, I'm 41. That's the kind of thing that I aspire to. So, <laughs> yes. Alan left school to start work at Warner's Printers in the Lincolnshire town of Bourne. After several years working there, he was made redundant and decided upon new direction in life. Choosing to concentrate on his love of gardening, he worked for Russell's Nursery in Little Bytham and then Barnsdale Gardens before he set up his own business um, entitled Gardens TLC, which I thought was a really nice name. Three years before his death, Alan had taken on a part-time role at the local Sainsbury store in Bourne, where he was said to be a popular member of staff amongst his colleagues. Alan married Joanne in 1986, although some sources say 1992. I should just interrupt you there because I wrote this up and yeah, there was two different things saying when they got married, so no idea what happened there, one or the other. Maybe it's one of those ones where they, they married, divorced and then remarried. We had this conversation with a friend recently, didn't we? We did. Well, they said, uh, oh yeah, they've been married 25 years. No, they haven't. They got married 25 years ago, split up for nine years. Yeah, yeah back together again. Yeah. yeah, and so how long do you count that then? Yeah. <laughs> with a gap. <laughs> yeah, 25 years with a gap, but they yes. never say that. Um, so they were married in 86 or 92, 
and although the couple separated in 2003, they were still very close and remained on good terms. His mother, Maureen, still lives in Stanford along with his sister, Janice. His other sister, Sylvia, lives in France. As Alan has no children of his own, he was instead a devoted uncle to his nieces and nephews and loved spending time with them. It's easy spending time with kids that aren't yours because you can give them back. I know. Yeah. That's the joy of it. That's why people like being grandparents so much. Yeah. And they will spoil them. They Just load them up with sugar. Them. Yeah. Oh, you can stay up all night. We don't care. Yeah. There you go. Rest There's the the <laughs> um, Early in the morning of Saturday the 24th of October 2009, one of Alan's friends arrived at his manor house for a visit. Finding both the front and back doors wide open and no response from calling out for Alan, the friend contacted Alan's landlord arrived at the property to investigate further. Together, the two of them entered the bungalow. I have to interject at this point and say that doesn't necessarily mean there's been a murder. I have been known to go out of the house. <laughs> leave the front door open. Quite frequently and leave either the front or the back door wide open. Much <laughs> to uh, my neighbour's <laughs> confusion. I didn't tell you. While you was at work earlier, I came in and I came in and I had loads of stuff to do in the house. So I started dinner which I obviously ruined. It's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, that took me forever. And then I started doing something, I was fixing the front door, uh, the inside of the front door. And then I went to go and put something from the garage into the car. And I couldn't find my keys anywhere. Left them in the front door. <laughs> well, I opened it. I've been sitting there for about an hour and a half. It's a good job it's quite a safe area. <laughs> I know, right? I went out for three hours once and left my front door wide open with my handbag literally just inside the door with my purse in it. And um, yeah, my neighbour across the road had obviously spotted from his study window that my, my door was wide open and kept a vague eye on it. was like, this is rather odd, even for him. <laughs> <laughs> he came over and got one of my other neighbours and they both came in to check for intruders. <laughs> and then they just gently closed the door for me. <laughs> oh, bless. But they came and let me know when I got home. That's nice. I know lots of people leave their front doors open. It's fine. What I don't understand about this is how the friend knew Alan's landlord. He called Alan's like, oh, I suppose it's if just it's a really, well, so If it's a really small village, then generally everyone knows everybody else. It's true, actually. Since so, moving to the Wirral, everyone knows everyone. They do. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows everyone else. And in a small village like that, where it is really small, then everyone will know. What the friend and Alan's landlord found was a gruesome scene. Purportedly one of the worst ever seen by Lincolnshire police. Carefully making their way into the living room, they saw Alan's body lying face down on the floor. It was apparent that Alan had been dead for some time, and lay in a congealed pool of blood. Despite this horrific scene, the house showed no signs of ransacking or burglary, with the only thing found to be missing from the property being Alan's bank cards. It was at the Willoughby Arms that Alan was last seen alive on the 21st of October, three days before his body was discovered. Having done some shopping in Morrison's in Stamford, Alan had a drink in the pub before saying goodbye to his friends and returning home to where he lived, on Edenham Road. Police believed it was the following day, Thursday the 22nd of October, that Alan was disturbed at home. They believed that he'd been in bed reading when something caused him to go to the front door. Upon answering the door, it is believed that he was then overpowered by two men who dragged him through to the living room and bound his hands with sellotape. I'm curious as to how, at that point, they, they think it was two men. I wonder whether there were signs of a struggle or they thought maybe one man wasn't able to do it on his own. It was believed that Alan was subjected to extreme levels of violence and torture, including being stabbed in the head and eye, which the police believe was to get him to reveal his PIN numbers for the cards which were stolen and later used by the killer. A total of 11 attempts were made to use the stolen cards, although only two of these were successful. CCTV from several of these attempts helped to narrow down the timeline of the murder, as it showed a figure, who definitely was not Alan, 
with his features hidden using the cash point at 9pm on the Thursday evening. The multiple use of ATM machines is said to be the reason why police believe that at least two people are involved. Ah, that um, makes sense. What they reckon is that one person stayed behind to guard Alan, whilst the other one went out to use the cards. Right. Oh, does that mean, though, that they kept him alive in case he'd given them the wrong PIN numbers? Then... Brilliant. Huh? Oh, Having been given the wrong PIN number, the attackers returned to inflict more torture. Alan then had his throat cut and was left to die on his living room floor. If that sounds bad enough, he was then mutilated by his killer. A wound was inflicted to the back of his head, which the police believe was... Quote, the start of an attempt at decapitation. Oh, it's disgusting. Detectives struggled to gain traction almost immediately. Neighbours had reported not hearing any screams or sounds of a struggle. Alan was well-liked in the community, with no known enemies. He wasn't known to be involved in anything illegal or illicit. In fact, no clear motive was available. The murder was so gruesome that Crime Stoppers put up £10,000 as a reward for information, leading to the arrest and conviction of the perpetrator which was on top of the £40,000 offered by Alan's place of work, Sainsbury's. This makes it one of the largest rewards offered in a UK murder investigation. I have to say, if he runs his own gardening business, it's not like he'd expect him to be minted. No, no, not at all. It's, it's really weird. The whole thing is just odd. Of all the people that you think, I know, we'll steal their bank cards and go and empty yeah. out their bank account. It'd well, be like someone could have to mine. <laughs> you can have my £3.50. <laughs> you can have my overdraft. <laughs> yes, that's more like it, to be fair. <laughs> What I don't understand, as you say, is they've gone after this guy, and I reckon it must be a case of mistaken identity or something. Hmm. Um, they've gone after him. If they knew anything about him, he runs his own business. All right, there are a lot of people who are self-employed who are rich, but he's working the same business as well. Yes. That's got to tell you that he's not rolling in cash. Yeah, absolutely. During the attack, it appears that one of Alan's killers injured himself, possibly to his hand, although that's not certain, and left blood at the scene. This enabled officers to capture a full male DNA profile. Despite being run through the National DNA Database, there were no matches. The profile has since been sent to all other countries around the world which run National DNA Databases with no luck. Databases. Databases. So, no luck at all. So either that person has not committed any other crime since, or they're extremely good, or they're dead. Yep. Yeah, I think you cover them all off there. <laughs> I think yeah. I have. After establishing during the early stages of the investigation that Alan's bank cards had been used in cash points in Bourne and Stamford over a couple of days after his murder, detectives spent thousands of hours searching through CCTV images to try to find who had carried out the attack. Described as being between five foot nine to five foot eleven inch tall, dressed in a smart, casual manner, and wearing a distinctive striped scarf. Experts outside of the police force have studied the CCTV footage and have said that the suspect has an unusual walk. The conclusion is that he limps due to his right leg being slightly longer than his left leg, although strangely the same experts have said that the suspect may not be aware that he walks oddly. This is really weird. If you ever watch the CCTV, and I'll try and find a link to it again, mm. um, it is very obviously CCTV footage from years and years ago yes. because it's not... HD and fast flowing, it's kind of bitty. It is very jerky, isn't yeah. it? Um, how they can tell he's, he's walking oddly, it's, it's difficult to tell. I don't know. Uh, detectives also revealed that they believed the suspect had good local knowledge as he was able to avoid many CCTV systems. A footprint from a Converse trainer was found at the scene, which officers believe belonged to one of the offenders. Aided by Converse and market experts, extensive research narrowed the type of trainer down to one particular upper. I don't know what an upper is. 
It's the design. It's like the, the design. it's the fashion design on the top. So obviously they have like a certain sole, but they have different. Ah, okay. Well, not the same sole, but they have similar soles. So it was narrowed down to one particular upper, which is available in two different styles and predominantly sold in Europe and North America. Doesn't really narrow it down, does it? In addition to that, Alan's hands were bound with sellotape. Small fragments of paper were found embedded in the tape. Further analysis revealed the paper was fragments of a Delane bus ticket, the local transport firm that runs buses in the Bourne area. Drivers and passengers were questioned and CCTV from buses was scrutinised. Based on these inquiries, the investigation team concluded that Allenwood was not likely to have been the owner of the ticket. There's no evidence he was a bus user, and staff and regular users did not seem to know him. It's therefore theorised that one or more of the offenders had used the lane bus close to the time of the crime, and the ticket had fallen out of their pocket during the attack and become embedded in the tape. It's such a pity that there were no fingerprints or anything on yeah. the sellotape. I can't use sellotape. <laughs> without getting your fingers. Without getting fingerprints. <laughs> All over it. Yeah. So I don't know how they've managed to bind somebody's hands without getting their fingerprints all over part Maybe of they have gloves on or something. I don't know why I'm uh, showing my hand. That doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> that glove. That glove. That, that glove. That hand should be in a glove. Yes. <laughs> Police have said that the DNA profile may belong to someone that was visiting the country and is no longer in the UK. Four people have been interviewed about the murder, though no arrests have been made. Pavel Versch a Polish national who is thought to have lived and worked in the Peterborough area at the time, is still being sought to help police with their inquiries, although Lincolnshire police have stressed that they do not believe he was involved in the incident himself. Pavel is reported to have worked at a local car wash centre that Alan frequented. Clive Driscoll, a former detective chief inspector with the Met Police, re-examined the case for a 2015 documentary and described it as baffling. Quote, It struck me that everything felt like this was actually somebody he knew, it's almost as if he willingly opened the door, not believing the danger he was in. But then the attack was incredibly frantic and incredibly personal. End quote. He went on to say that he believed this indicated Alan may have known his killer. There have been many guesses as to what led to Alan's murder. Though the most likely theory is that the killers confused him for the manager at the Sainsbury's branch where he worked. Said to be of the same size and build, it's possible that the attackers confused the two men and followed the wrong man attacking him to get access to the keys for the store and arguably a far bigger haul than the few hundred pounds they ultimately stole from Alan. That makes sense, doesn't it? It does. How much would you be crapping your pants if you were the Sainsbury's manager, though? Yes, I would be very scared at that point. Yeah, you'd be asking for more CCTV at work, wouldn't you? Definitely. Manor Lodge, where Mr Wood lived, was kept as a crime scene for two years but has since been demolished. Alan's mum said... I think I'm getting over the shock, she said through her tears, and coming to terms with Alan's death, although it's not easy. What I'm not coming to terms with, and what I'm finding very difficult, is asking why. It must be terrible. I, I can't imagine it. I think mm. no matter how old you are, the idea of losing a child is just horrific. Parents shouldn't outlive their kids, should they? Many, many years on, and it's still unsolved. It is. I'm really curious as to why the police want to speak to Pavel. Yeah, that's really... And how they can't trace him. That's what I don't understand. Yes, it is. It's really odd, that. And and why... I don't know. If, if if the police turned around and said that they were seeking my name in relation to something like this, I think I'd probably get in touch if it was obvious that they weren't expecting that I'd done it. Yeah. Well, someone would tag you on Facebook, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I know it's it's pity to say, but... Yes. Go, have you seen that the police are looking for you in relation to a murder? Mm. <laughs> I just feel for his mum as well. It was yeah. so violent. Yeah. Why do they try and chop his head off? 
think that's been some way to try and disguise I don't, I don't know see because generally when they do things like that it's because they want to try and conceal who the person is which is pointless with DNA etc now um, but it was in his own home that's what but I don't it was understand. in his own house so it's not yeah. like they could conceal it is it I don't understand that bit at all I really don't it just seems completely unnecessary unless they were planning to take it to show to somebody else I don't know Ew. maybe you never I don't know. know if it was some gang related thing we got his yeah we got his cash point cards 200 quid here's his head doesn't bear thinking about, does it? It really doesn't. And that is the shocking unsolved murder of Alan Wood. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with the thought that it may be a case of mistaken identity? Or do you have another theory that we may have missed? Why do you think that the police want to speak to Pavel? Let us know by emailing us. You can reach me... Dan at sublimetruecrime.com and me, Elaine, at sublimetruecrime.com or come and join us on our Facebook group. In the meantime, I've been Dan. I've been Elaine. Please join us again next week for another Sublime True Crime.